2: This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk
1: Hi, I'm Gabriel Marcotti and welcome to The Game Podcast. This week I'm delighted I'm jo- to be joined on the phone by two very hard northern types, George Culkin and of course Matt Hughes, and also Alison Rudd in the studio. I'm
0: a hard northern type too.
1: Yes, as, you, as one can tell from your accent
0: Bath grass
1: Ordinarily, as you know, we would, uh, we would be looking at uh, uh, two football matches in our, uh, in our initial Talking point segment And then um, going with a debate But because our producer Chris Skinner has decided to be all London-centric We're going to start at the top with the departure of André Villas-Boas And who better to start with than uh, uh, Matt Hughes, uh, the man who in Monday's Times told us that Harry Redknapp is the shock name uh, for Chelsea. But Matt, I want to take a step back. What's your understanding of the circumstances of villas um, boss's departure?
3: Well, he was made to take training yesterday morning and then he was... About 12.30, 12.45, called to a brief meeting with Roman Abramovich, Eugene Tenenbaum, his sort of closest advisor, and Ron Golech, executive, and they told him in pretty blunt terms that although they were sorry, he'd be leaving, he, he wasn't working and he, and he had to go. Um, they then went and briefed De Mateo, who was invited to take over. I probably told to take over, and uh, then they went and spoke to the players, and Roman gave them a, a bit of a rocket for their efforts this season, which, if you've watched Chelsea, is probably um, much deserved.
0: What do you mean he was made to take training? Wasn't he planning on taking training?
3: Well, well, no, he, 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 he what I mean is he wasn't, he wasn't, it was, he wasn't um, told he was going to be sacked after the game, which is when the decision was being made. So he had to gonna kind of go through the charade of taking uh, charge of a group of players who pretty much knew that he was on his way out.
1: Now, Matt, obviously you've got a a pretty clear line in there. The the way this is being spun immediately, and I think regular listeners will know my viewpoint on this, is that it's all the player's fault and Abramovich is mad because he sacked, uh, he sacks managers again and again. In fact, you know, uh, the little wind-up doll that is Richard Bevan has come out already and made that very same point like he always does when when a manager is removed. But, um... What's your take on it? Because obviously responsibility needs to be shared around, but it looks to me like Villas-Boas is pretty rubbish compared to his previous, compared to Chelsea's previous manager.
3: Yeah, he's, he's got a lot wrong. I think the ultimate responsibility lies with Barmovic for appointing the wrong man, but also sacking Ancelotti for no real reason last year, which all stems back to his bizarre decision to... Dismissed Ray Wilkins in mid-season um, having said that Milos Boas has to take his share of the responsibility he's made some very odd decisions and ultimately he's been let down by um, his failure to bond with the players and maybe even not, not trying he kind of he was very aloof at the training ground. He was trying to sort of play the hard man to assert, assert himself to make up for his lack of age and lack of experience, and it, it's backfired really because the players have, have not been playing for him for some time. And I think there's uh, an element of they just didn't understand what he was trying to get at. He's he's a man who has come from an academic background and is very well studied in the science of the sport and he used um, lots of management business jargon which in the in a football dressing room left them baffled quite frankly
2: i mean i I've, I've read your read yourself today matt and obviously i'm 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 from the outside but it just seems that the whole club is completely sort of just dysfunctional from from top from top to bottom from top to bottom i mean i kind of have I sort of have sympathy for for all elements to to a, to a small degree, apart from Abr- Abramovich. I think because you know if you're going to appoint this young guy and pay such a lot of money to buy him out of his contract and and give him the job, then you have to stick you have to stick by him. You know, you have to stick by him and give him the tools to get on with the job. I mean, I I kind of understand why senior players would be unhappy after kind of giving so much. Over the last few years, and being such an important part of the being important part of the club, but I just can't kind of get my head around the whole the whole process of going through that of going through that whole thing, and at the end of it, just letting him letting him go after six months. or but whatever. But
1: why, George? Wasn't it? I mean, when you think about it, right? I'm going to play devil's advocate for a change, but um, you've gone out, you've taken this guy with almost no experience. You said we believe in you enough that we're going to pay fifty million to bring yeah. you on board. All we expect is that you rejuvenate the team, while giving it some kind of identity on the pitch, and stay in the top four, which is where Chelsea have been for you know well, since Roman Abramovich took over in two thousand and three. Yeah, well, why, well, why is that so unreasonable
2: i don 't I don't think that 's unreasonable but um but if if you 're talking about i mean everyone knows that the you know the problems that chelsea've got kind of on the pitch they 're an aging team they've got they 've got facets of the team that uh, kind of don 't relate to, to any others I mean, you know no one knows who 's kind of signing the players Is it managers... Or is it the, or is it, or is it directors? That's that's what I'm sort of talking about. I can sort of understand the principle of giving a young guy who's dynamic and has, has a has a great, you know, sort of promising, promising CV um, to do the job of, of root and branch reform. I can't understand the point of. Um, of, of getting shot of him in within six months. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that he's done, he's covered himself in glory because I don't think he has. But I can't understand that. I can't understand the appointment in the first place in that case.
3: Matt, um, yeah, well, I think what's unreasonable is he was asked to do two contradictory things. He's asked to get results, but at the same time, evolve the team and, yeah, and yeah. ship players out, and it's it's pretty impossible for him to get performances from the likes of Drogba, Lampard who know they're going to be going at the end of the season and that is what's done for him really
1: well you know maybe Sir Alex Ferguson might beg to differ I think Scholes and uh, that Giggs guy both know that they'll be gone at the end of the season probably and uh, and they still get performances out of him but then again there is only one Sir Alex Ferguson and having done our, our, our sort of suck up segment um, <laughs> for the show uh, I want to it's just difficult I mean you're right. it's difficult that Chelsea didn't know who's in charge and, and how they're in charge but um, generally the impression I was under is that um, Michael Amanalo um, the, plays a big part in the decision making there and was responsible for for, for, for bringing Villas-Boas in and for making some of the uh, transfer decisions that we all disagree with um, at least I did Um is his rear end on the line at all? Like, I mean, could he go at the end of the season if things don't work out? Um, or is he just like a fixture there for life?
3: I don't think so. He seems to have got himself very close to Abramovich and was involved in the talks yesterday morning with, with Abramovich before they went and met Villas Boas. So he seems to be pretty firmly entrenched and, for whatever reason, has the O has the in his ear. So will he pick um, the new boss? I think Roman will pick the new boss. Not new Emanalo. Eagles. No, Emanalo. I mean, I Emanalo I mean, will, will have an opinion. But um, as you, as you am sure you know, Chelsea is a very fluid uh, club and it doesn't have what you might call orthodox management structures. And instead it has a series of individuals, Emanalo... Marina, Roman's PA, Vongolo, chief executive, Bruce Buckley chairman and they all kind of float ideas into Roman and eventually he just sort of decides but doesn't um, Emano- doesn't where, Emanolo- the, where the music stops.
0: Doesn't Eminalo just make Abramovich's wishes come true as opposed to try
1: and influence what Abramovich was? Well, like a fairy like godmother or something.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't... I mean, you know, you know better than me, Matt, but I didn't get the impression that, that, that that's the intellect behind the club. It's more, you keep your job at Chelsea if you say yes a good deal to the man with all the money. Isn't that what
3: happened? Uh, well, he certainly, him and Abraham Grant, for whatever reason, they've managed to keep, keep close um, relations with Abramovich in a way that we'll have and it suggests that he does actually want to be surrounded by by, a yes man. Maybe he's, he's the Phil Neal of uh, of the 21st century.
1: <laughs> um... Well, speaking of, uh, of, of, of assistants, um, Robbie D now in charge now. I think everybody's assuming it's just interim till the end of the season, maybe before. Um, but you know, this is a guy who you know, got in the playoffs with a newly promoted MK Dons team, um, got West Brom promoted, and then halfway through the season, things didn't work out, was let go. But he's still young, he speaks 87 bazillion languages, he, not only does he have a university degree, he has a higher education degree as well, he's got a master's degree too. Um, is there any scenario whereby Robbie D stays in charge um, after the end of the season? Does he need to win the Champions
3: League? Pretty much, I think he's in the um Grant camp of appointed solely because he's on the spot and available. Um, so why'd they appoint not- him in the first place? Well, they don't have a very sophisticated appointment structure. They basically appoint a player who used to play, for, a coach who used to play for Chelsea. That's that's their number two. <laughs> that's that's how it works. From Steve Clark, Ray Wilkins, Roberto Mateo, they kind of want a um, a figurehead to keep keep the fans happy and someone with a bit of experience in English football. That was that was the rationale. I don't think he's made much impact at all on the players. This season, and people have even said he was even less popular than the last boss. So um, it's going to be a very interesting couple of months, or maybe even a couple of weeks.
0: And where did we? Where, where did it? Where did it happen that it's important for a manager to be popular? I mean, you know, the best teachers at your child's school will be the ones that have a lot of respect, not the ones that the kids think are a great hoot. I mean, a good manager shouldn't shouldn't be relying upon. His first, the first time the first he gets the job the first thing you read here uh, blogged web newspapers radio television is oh players don't like him either it's just ridiculous
1: well I mean maybe it has something to do with the fact that the highest paid manager of the world right now Jose Mourinho is all about being popular and his players would run through brick walls for him um, but uh, Matt uh, you, you, you you drew up a list of of candidates um just very quickly, um, you just stop me if I'm wrong. Okay. Redknapp will not take the Chelsea job because he will take the England job or take the Spurs. Correct? Correct. Um, Mourinho will not take the Chelsea job because he's burned so many bridges at Stamford Bridge, would have to repair them with so many people, and he's at a bigger club and making more money, and he's got a young team, and all his posturing and pretending to come to London and to look at houses, and he really does come to London, but then he pretends to look at houses. It's all down to getting a new deal with Real Madrid, correct?
3: I would have thought so, and crucially, he won't get the power he wants. He's got a Madrid at Chelsea. No chance.
1: Okay, Pep won't take the job because... He does this every year, he's all unsure about himself and stuff like that, um, but he's going to stay at Barcelona, correct?
3: Or go elsewhere, but certainly not to Chelsea.
1: Okay, Capella won't get the job because um, people like you keep saying that he doesn't speak English, correct? Absolutely. Okay, um, so we're kind of burning through your list of options here. Um, Roberto Matteo it is. Robbie or Brendan Rodgers?
3: I think they're looking for a guy with a bit more experience than that. Having had their fingers burnt by going for an, a young former Chelsea coach, uh, yeah, I mean you're right, there are very few options out there. And Davy Moyes, once, once, once the fantasy uh, list of. Guardiola Marino has gone through it'll be probably be less of a choice of a kind of promising coach in Spain or, or, or David Moyes um, who if you're looking for a guy to be, build long term and um, not spend too much money he, he, he could be a man
1: there you go David Moyes you know, I, I, I long argued that they should have been taking a look at him uh, uh, before and surely at least interviewing him
3: what would be interesting is Tottenham are also very keen on, on Moyes um whatever why well, even well, when they leave Redknapp so um okay
1: uh, so it's perfect Redknapp and Moyes two managers two people need managers you just split them up any way you like and everybody's happy right
3: no three people need managers this is a small matter of the FA
1: <laughs> yeah exactly then you know, leave Stuart Pierce for the FA why not for some reason, our, our Tottenham supporting producer has uh, moved some minor match at White Hart Lane to second in the running order ahead of Newcastle v. Sunderland. Fortunately, I have the power to to, to turn that around, George. Um, so I, this certainly lived up to expectations, I thought. Every stereotype, everything that we sort of take for granted from the intensity um, to the fans and everything... I know it's a very trite thing to say,
2: but it's not always like this, is it? No, no. And that was, um, it was a particularly, it was a particularly special one, you have to say, in, in terms of just that, just complete insanity from first minute, to, uh, first minute to last. They're not always, they're not always, I mean, they're always you know they're always intense they're always noisy but it just sort of had it just sort of had everything it was the kind of you know cliches of Derby where you can't take your eyes off it for a minute uh, your ears are constantly being pounded and at the end of it sort of you know and I sort of sat back in the press room the, the idea of being able to sort of somehow make sense of it it was uh, well I mean clearly I didn't manage but um, you can't you, you know, it's it's sort of uh, the the eardrums are being uh, dented so much you just can't find room to uh, can't find room to to think. But I thought, uh, I,
0: George, I thought you did make sense of it because I thought you indicated in your report that it was mainly about the facts and then tranced five one in the corresponding fixture last season, and they had to in some way impose themselves on on a game that they could yeah. have struggled in and and, yeah. and it was almost as though they orchestrated the sort of that, that sort of utter derbiness about it yeah. to, to make sure that they, they weren't lost well it, you was, sort of it was quite
2: interesting I mean I, I sort of thought when Catamol got booked after after 38 seconds or whatever it was I thought my god what an idiot you know that's him then out of the that's him them out out of the, the the FA Cup quarterfinal against Everton he's now going to have to watch his step for you know 90 plus minutes what an idiot however you know Alan Pardew sort of said later he thought that was sort of a premeditated a premeditated thing and it did it actually set the right tone for for Sunderland because it it showed that they weren't going to freeze like they had done the season before after the five one and um, his teammates sort of responded to it and actually an actual fact you know I would have kind of given if I'd had to mark mark the players after forty seconds which of course I'd, that would be ridiculous but, you know Catam would have got a one but if I'd had to. Uh, you know, mark him again after ninety minutes. He would he would have got eight, and then of course he gets sent off in in extra time. So he goes back. back you know, <laughs> but but um, no. And I thought it did set a tone. And it was a you know the, the kind of the enjoyable thing about it from the neutrals' perspective is that it was it felt like a, a kind of confrontation between between equals, which is uh, you know which is far more far more fun. Um, and with kind of both both benches piling into things as well. It was kind of it was just it was chaotic. The whole thing it really was.
1: Now, does Alan Parju really, really care, or was he trying to uh, uh, wind up Martin O'Neill?
2: Well, I, I mean, I would, I would, you know, I would like to, uh, I would like to think that it was just all about getting wound up in the, you know, wound up in the moment, you know, John. And cut. sorry,
1: could could you actually see what happened? Because could you see the secrets I, I see,
2: yeah, well, I, well, well, I
1: watch it on TV, and you see like R- Pardew jumping around like like some kind of demented monkey, but you can't see whether he's just celebrating or whether he's doing it in O'Neill's face. Just and O'Neill kind of comes into view later, so it's it's yeah. difficult to kind of.
2: well it 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 also started off from that first, there was a the big confrontation of, of players and the two benches got involved then um, and that was the kind of the first thing and then every time anything happened on the pitch that was sort of controversial, whether it was a foul or, you know, whatever, they would just go at it, they would go at it again I mean, it's worth pointing out that Newcastle have you know, John Carver on their coaching staff who's who's come back to the club under Pardew but was a fixture under Sir Bobby and and, and and others and is a Geordie, Steve Stone's there, he's a Geordie and they just, you know, they all Got, they all got swept up in it i mean i I would say i mean I kind of find all that stuff entertaining um in some ways. I do think without wanting to get too kind of faced about it, I do think it does you know that that side of it does set a bit of a bad uh bit of a bad example kind of for every for everybody else um because the, you know those you know the manager should really be able to kind of rise above it and and not kind of get involved in that in that kind of posturing really it's a bit of cabaret I suppose but it's not I didn't think I didn't think I didn't think that was the the most edifying thing, thing of it and Pardew did I mean to, to give him credit Pardew did come out publicly anyway and, and apologise for sort of celebrating the penalty the award of a penalty in front of O'Neill I thought I didn't think that was I didn't think that was great. Um, I'm not sure that there was there were apologies made in in private, but there was certainly you know there was there certainly was a public one which I think was probably the right thing to do.
1: And you even mention your, your your friend Andy Woodman, the man who got into it with a senior citizen like uh, like Joe Jordan last year, uh, being sent off.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. They were all... Is he a Geordie
1: too? Is that his excuse? Or no, is he just a no, crazy no. nutter?
2: Although he, he, he said, I think he said on Twitter afterwards, he said something like, I had to defend the Geordie badge and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's all part of that. It's all part of He's that. He's an so adopted Geordie then. Well, you know, you know.
1: It's that time
0: of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about
3: To get started, visit plushcare. dot slash weight That's plushcare. dot com slash weight loss.
2: Uh, there, 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 there is, all that, and having, sort of criticised Alan Padue, I should also say that you know, M- Martin O'Neill... Saying that there was a delegation, or he'd heard that there was a delegation that had visited the referees' room at halftime to sort of complain, um, that's that's not true. Um,
1: yeah, I um, wanted to so- I wanted to get you on that because I right, you do this, I am sure O'Neill will, will not get in trouble for it, but. You do this, if, like, if you were to write something like this, and it's not true without evidence, you could get sued. I could get sued. If, if you do this in a World Cup or in the context of the Champions League, you get, a, you get a serious ban. This is a very serious allegation to make. Now, I suspect that in the Premier League, nothing will happen, right? He's not going to get charged.
2: Well, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, the way he the way he expressed it was um, in mitigation for for Catanaw sending off at the final whistle. We had heard that, um, you know, blah blah blah. Don't know what was said, but uh, decisions seemed to go Newcastle's way in the second half. That you know, that that sort of thing. We, we that's we really bad. That. Um, the the from from speaking to people at, um, at both clubs, what may have happened is that a, a Newcastle official wanted to get clarification on the thing being sent to the stand but he didn't didn't try and get access to the referee's room or anything or anything like that. So you can sort of see how that you can see how that misunders, misunderstanding might have might have arisen um and it kind of made for made for two sort of two lively two lively press conferences uh two lively press conferences afterwards but you know, i guess I guess that's always the you know it's always that's always the danger about sticking microphones in people's faces so so quickly after the final whistle after a game like that um people say things that maybe they wouldn't do twenty minutes half an hour half an hour later you know but it fills uh fills the papers
1: matt you have been silent throughout this i i guess because you've been sort of uh processing information and uh even though you are from the north you're um you're a neutral in this one, so you get the last word um Who's done a better job this year, Alan Pardew or Martin O'Neill?
3: Well, tough question. They're both doing great jobs. I think to make the game, you'd have to say O'Neill, given the position in the team he when he took them over, and he's only been there for a shorter space of time. Um, over the course of the season, it will probably end up being Pardew, as Newcastle look um, well placed to finish finish sixth or seventh, which would be a great achievement.
1: Did calling did, did he answer that question correctly
2: yeah i mean it's in the you know why 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 comp, why compare them really i mean um, if if newcastle get into into the top 6 or 7 it's an absolutely brilliant achievement against all sort of expectation anticipation at the start of the season um and you know equally O'Neill has had a you know a sort of brilliant effect on Sunderland since they came in it's really heartening to see that sort of relationship restored between between team team and supporters he's done that very well and um, you know from my perspective long may it continue long may it continue for both i mean i know some of them are not in the top 10 at, at the moment but they have been and it's nice to have the sort of the, the backdrop to a derby the sort of notion that the two clubs could be lifting each other up as opposed to dragging each other down which is how it's been for far too long
1: and you get that synergy going and maybe maybe it's Middlesbrough who get lifted next that
2: would be great that would be great and Tony Mowbray what a fantastic bloke and you know the, the, the same thing there doing a very 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 difficult job but doing doing really well yeah I would love that
1: Tony Mowbray of course has been a, a guest before in the game podcast and that's why we officially recognize him as one of our warriors of the light <laughs> From Warriors of the Light to Princes of Darkness, uh, Tottenham Hotspur uh, and uh, Manchester United. Um, Matt, I want to start with you. This seemed like an obvious game where Tottenham go out there and there's no Gareth Bale and no Scott Parker. And they play United off the park, I thought, largely speaking. And yet they lose. Does that sum it up?
3: Well, yeah, they had the first hour, but they didn't have the last final final thirty minutes, and they didn't convert their chances in the final third of the pitch, which is why they lost the game. And are now, one truly really out of the title race, and looking over their shoulders to Arsenal, and well, probably not Chelsea, but they are certainly looking to consolidate further rather than aim any higher. Um, it's been a couple of a bad week for, for Harry. Really, he's still the man at the moment, and there's links of all these jobs that come up. But um, two two heavy defeats to Arsenal and United have um, ex- exposed Spurs a bit, and, and maybe made them to be not quite as good as we um, thought they were.
1: George, did you did you ever believe that Tottenham could finish in the top two?
2: Well, if I say yes, I'd look. I'd sound like an idiot, wouldn't I now? What? Yeah, well, well this, did, this yeah. is like
1: therapy. We need you to be honest. so It doesn't no, work. No,
2: I didn't. know, I didn't. I mean, I've I've I kind of always thought it was. I mean, from from the start, I've always thought it was the two Manchester two Manchester clubs fighting it out. I mean, I've I've you know, I think like I'm sure a lot of people when Tottenham have played well, they've they've probably been the most entertaining team to watch this season, and I've enjoyed I've in uh, I've been, I've enjoyed that, but. Um, you know it's not it's not kind of a great it's not a great insight really but you know that's man united doing what man united have been doing for 15, 15 years and longer they have that experience even though they've got even though they've you know they've, they've got kind of younger generation of players and they're always coming through they just know how to win games and win the important games and i guess that's still something that tottenham tottenham
1: have to have to um have to acquire did you buy that argument this whole like Winning
0: ugly thing From I don't I don't I don't think I don't think think, Yeah no I don't think Man United won ugly at all No uh, And I I, It's been a season where Most people say You know Man United could win the title And yet it's probably the worst Team Ferguson's ever had Um
1: that's me you're talking about. Well, problem.
0: well a lot, a lot of people have, have said that I, it's because I think it's because they are a team that lack um a particularly gorgeous character like Cantona or, or Beckham or someone that everyone can focus on and say wow, what a star um you know the uh, heartbeat of the team good. and so on. No, I mean, well, I think I don't think people are, in, in, are as in love with Rooney and he does boil hot and cold and um that sort of phrase is it he does run hot and cold.
3: Boil
0: hot and cold, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I It's but it's their their function. They are very functional, Manchester United. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, Everyone who's been in football a long time says you build from the back. You have to win a game by knowing exactly what everyone's role is. Uh, Your defence has to be good, and I think the defence against a very attacking Spurs team, you could argue, were a work of art in themselves. I mean, I think De Gea had an excellent game. Uh, Ferdinand probably played as well as he's played all season and these are the sort of performances you need uh, when you're away from home playing against a team that they had one bad game at the Emirates that Tottenham are still a force to be reckoned with at White Hart Lane and they did exactly the right thing Man United didn't play ugly, they, they played very sensibly and um, Ashley Young's goals were in particular were, were, were just as good as uh, Robin van Percy's and he's been getting all the accolades as being the uh, the striker of, of of the season. So I, I don't think it was it was playing ugly. I think it was incredibly sensible, patient, and uh, Spurs were bound to lose patience uh, as the game went on, and they did.
1: I, I thought United were outplayed actually, and um, it was a smash and grab. And it's it's what you need to do to 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 win to win three titles. One, I,
0: three, I don't think three one is a smash and grab.
1: Yeah, it is. I when when De Gea has to make that that ridiculous save when um, he's part
0: know. of the team he's part of the team if he's that rubbish then then you're no, well, leaking I mean, the more goals bad, aren't you no
1: but I mean luckily you did the Spurs are a good team I mean. Who played very well? United, I thought, didn't play great, but you know, obviously much men- much tougher mentally, and you know, got the got the breaks in their direction. Am I completely wrong on this, Matt George? Somebody help me.
2: Well, they can't. They can't I mean, they can't. You know, they can't do this week after week, month after month. You know, they can't be crap week after week, month after month, and then still be second or top of the uh, the, the league. I think is the point. Is that well, they, know, they they, they can,
1: can if the league is actually. Pretty crappy. There. I mean, I've said this well, before. Yeah, no, no. Like, it's, it's a really yeah, bad yeah. season yes, at the yes. top.
2: Absolutely, you can make that argument. But I suppose, I suppose, what I'm saying is, you can look at individual games and say, "Well, okay, Tottenham did. Tottenham, Tottenham played better, but United won. United are winning. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're doing it. They're doing it enough to be to be in the top two of the Premier League. So it isn't over the course of the season. It's not a fluke. It's not a
1: no, no, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest at all that that, that it's a fluke. And in fact, I. I mean, I think it's it's a bit like, in some ways, I think it's a, it's a bit like last season when they're they're showing that they can keep winning. And to go back to the Villas Boas argument, you know, people say like, well, how's he supposed to freshen up the team and keep winning? It's impossible. Well, you know what? Has anybody seen the players that Sir Alex Ferguson has signed over the last eighteen months? You know, from from Chicharito to to, to 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 Jones, to bringing back Cleverly, to bringing back Welbeck, to Ashley Young, he is freshening up the side. To Smalling. And guess what? They're still winning titles and finishing second. So it is possible, right? He's
3: been in the job for twenty-six years, which is nearly as long as Andre Villas-Boas has been alive. So okay, f- fair you enough, can't but I mean, really compare the situation. You know but, what? Also, yeah, no, also, but just
1: because you're old doesn't mean you're good. Gary no, Megson's no, old but it means,
3: too. It means you have authority and respect and time and patience, all of the, the things that Villas-Boas lacked, which is why he was deemed to fail.
2: But also, also Ferguson still has a. You know, it's, it's still the pivotal figure when it comes. To to, to 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 buying players and I'm not I'm not kind of jumping onto the sort of managers union here but um you can't you don't you can't hoard hoard players likes sort of trophy assets and all that sort of stuff there has to be team building and that's what you know that's what united have done
0: and shouldn't 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 really have chelsea signed a manager brought in a manager who's incredibly good in the transfer market if you want an overhaul job they no, it in they should they have brought bro-
1: a director of football Managers shouldn't be making decisions like that It should be director of football Continental model, damn it <laughs> Moving on <laughs> And remember, this Wednesday we have a special game podcast bonus. Um, Allison, George, myself—we're uh, all joined by by Dan Johnson, um, the Premier League's director of communications. So if you ever wondered what a, a Premier League director sounds like. Um, this is your opportunity. We're going to be talking some, some of the stuff uh, clubs do in the community. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Football Data Co and that ridiculous um, policy that they have. Sorry, editorializing here. And uh, a bit about uh, broadcasting and, and, and TV. Um, so uh, that'll be a uh, game podcast bonus on Wednesday. All right, time now for some quick hits. Liverpool play Arsenal off the park, but end up losing two to one. Allison, should Leash be more pleased with the performance or more angry with the result?
0: Uh, well, anger's not very uh, productive, is it? I think his overwhelming feeling ought to be one of jealousy that uh, Arsenal had in their team uh, a striker who is just incredibly clinical. Um, and I think I think it's very worrying for Darliech actually that Liverpool could play that well. Thirteen um, nil corner count, something like that. And consistently as particularly at home aren't able to convert the chances they should
1: I think anger can be extremely productive only. no no Robin van Persie scores two in, uh, in, in that game uh, and it brings a seasonal total up to 31 uh, he got massive plaudits for the way he struck that last gasp winner um, but George am I insane for suggesting that maybe Pepe Reina could have done better
2: no you're insane for every other reason thank you
1: and to elaborate upon that, he does very well <laughs> to square his his body to the right angle and guide the shot, but he well, didn't hit it particularly
2: hard, and no, and it's no, in your near post. No 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 goal goalkeeper like to be beaten at the near post today.
1: Yeah, I thought because I thought Van Persie's goal at, at Everton, certainly in the strike was uh, was much much better personally. Super Mario Balotelli has a late, late night on Thursday, but then scores in City's 2-0 win over Bolton. In fact, he could have had uh, two or three hat-tricks in that game. Um, Mancini says that uh, if Balotelli is found to have broken curfew, he'll be punished. Um, Matt, is this really necessary, given that it did not seem to affect him on the pitch?
3: Yeah, it is, it is necessary because Mario seems to behave as he wants and needs to learn to respect respect the rules. Clubs have curfews and alcohol courses for a pretty good reason and if they hadn't been playing a, a modest team at home, they could have easily needed Marte to produce more and, and he would, may not have been able to. So, yeah, he needs to grow up and uh, start behaving like a high-level professional.
1: But he's a big star. He should be treated like with, with kid gloves, like a big star. yeah, forget it. No, I'm with you. Um, Dave Whelan helpfully announces that he wants an explanation from Roberto Martinez as to why he left out three, quote, quality players uh, in Wiggins' 2-0 home defeat to Swansea. And if you're wondering who those uh, uh, three quality players are, uh, it's uh, uh, Rodallega, Victor Moses, and Diame. Um, all three, of course, came on in the second half. Um, Alison, is it a good idea when owners tell the world they're on a mission for answers and they'll be grilling their own managers? Uh, Is Willem part of the solution here or part of the problem?
0: Uh, Well, Martinez is in this surprising position of being perceived as the most secure manager of those in the bottom half of the table because of this sort of relationship he has with the owner that um, he was offered the, a villa job, decided, no, I'm going to be loyal and everyone expects that means there'll be loyalty in return. I think if Whelan Wheel- believes um, that, the, the, that, that, is, that that perception is not healthy at the moment and there needs to be a bit of pressure put on his manager, then in a strange way, it probably was quite helpful. <laughs>
1: Alex Horn, the FA's secretary, um, has come out and said that England might not appoint a manager until the end of the season. George, is this a clever idea? Why or do I get this horrid feeling that Stuart Pearce is going to lead out England at the Euros? And if that happens, should the villagers storm Wembley armed
2: with pitchforks and torches? Well, I have to be honest, I England broke my heart somewhere between Germany and, and South Africa, so I'm struggling to get sort of terribly, uh, terribly worked up about it. I find the idea of Stuart Pearce being the manager at the Euros so funny that I almost want it to happen just for the hell of it um, and I mean if he did get it I don't think it would have much much effect either way um, seriously is it a clever idea to wait until the end of the season well they'll find it far more difficult to get a manager who's in who's in work uh, now than they would at the end of the season so I suppose there's a logic there there also aren't any England games but am I bothered not really <laughs>
1: This is the problem. This is the problem working with these cynics because, of course, you know, Calkin's fallen out of love with England. Uh, Hughes, as anybody can probably guess, has never been an England fan. And, And Alison, you bleed red, right? Not for the Cross of St. George? Correct. There you go. I am probably the biggest England fan here. Yeah. Just as we thought Terry Connor's appointment uh, uh, could be the kind of outside-the-box thinking that helps Wolves stay up, they go and lose to Fulham, 5-0. Husey, your choice. You can talk about how bad Wolves are and how really the PL should consider relegating the bottom five teams this year instead of the customary three. Or you can simply talk about how stunning Pavel Pogrebnik's hat-trick was and how Clint Dempsey can't stop scoring.
3: Uh, Well, Dempsey's having a great season and Fulham are doing well, which pleases me as it's making Marquise look very silly, given he said they're a small club with no ambition. Um, But I'll probably go with the former, to be honest. I'd relegate the bottom six. Bottom six? That includes Villa. (laughs) Yeah, get rid of Villa. They're a terror. Have you been to Villa Park this year? It's (laughs) it's a miserable experience. Blackburn, Bolton, Wolves, QPR, Wigan, Villa, gone
1: there you go. Bounce them all. That's it. And let's go, Let's go, and let's have an 18-team Premier League. <sighs> I've been arguing this forever you know, when I become Dan Johnson's boss I'm, I'm going to come out and that's exactly what and I'm going to do give
0: everybody free fixture lists probably exactly Gab here's one for you why is Swiss football in such a pickle
1: right now um, because they may be really really good at like, you know, making clocks and chocolate and cows and taking your money and hiding it from uh, the tax authorities elsewhere but um, evidently when it comes to oversight of football clubs they're actually really really rubbish there's 10 teams in the Swiss Super League and Super League of course seems like like a, a really silly term. Uh, there, there were 10 at the start of the season. There will only be eight at the end of the season because two of them went bankrupt and stopped fulfilling their, their fixtures halfway through the season. And another one is Sion, those crazy people who started suing everybody in the world and got a 36-point penalty and uh, I now have minus one uh, points in the table. It's, it's an absolute l- sort of lunatic asylum, the, the Swiss Super League, and it's just so out of step with the rest of the country. It's, I love it. It's <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week. But remember, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis. You can follow us on Twitter. You can do our web chats. My web chat is on Tuesdays. Um, George, you still do that lovely Northeast web chat? No. Okay. <laughs> Bring no it more back. George Culkin. Bring back. <laughs> but you can follow him at Times. Matt, have you been roped into a web chat? Okay, me. Okay, so he's occasional. I'm um, on Tuesdays. You get Rory Smith on Mondays, and Ollie K is seemingly every single day, every single moment of the week. So um, please stay in touch with us, and until uh, next week. Bye-bye.
2: Planning for your next trip?